listening to season two of Pod. We are sisters, one West Coast, one East Coast, one straight mom of toddler twins, one gay, uh, multiply divorced, <laughs> one lifelong gag of the Chrissy fan, one new reader. Season one got the two of us through the first shitty year of COVID. Follow along with us for season two as we drink and sometimes remember to talk about the book. Hello. Welcome back. It's been a little bit. So, yeah, we started this in August and it's November. (laughs) This episode. Yeah, and welcome to season two. Yeah, and welcome to season two. So in the middle of Murder of the Muse, we took a long break because um, our father passed away and we had a lot of both logistical and emotional things to deal with that were not the podcast. Right, right, which I we are so excited about getting together to talk about books again as opposed to Oof. other things. Oh my right. gosh. Seriously. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, um we we left off with the first story from Murder in the Muse, um which I just edited and released. Um but which was which was titled Murder in the Muse. Yes, um, and now we're on to the second story from that book, which is The Incredible Theft. Okay, so this one is one of those um, dinner parties, house, no, it's house party. And when Agatha Christie says house party, she does not mean the house party that I understood house parties to be from the movie House Party starring Kid <laughs> and Play. Kid and Play. Yeah, so... She did not. She was not referring to kit nor play. <laughs> there was a lot less of really tall fades either. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming. I haven't seen any. Right, right. When, when Agatha Christie talks about house parties, she means rich people and going and staying at a house. Wait, what because are you drinking? What am I drinking? I am drinking a Cabernet Sauvignon 2019 from the Central Coast. What are you drinking? Delightful. Um, a rosé, which is a Côte de Provence. Oh, um, I like Côte de Provence. It's rosé. Although, I got it because the bottle was pretty, like the actual glass of the bar. Not that I'm going to do anything with it, but it's like, it has like this fancy glass cork. Ooh. Oh, right? Like it looks yeah. like a perfume bottle. What am I going to do with the, with the bottle? Nothing. I'm going to recycle it. But it convinced me that I was going to like Etsy something with this bottle. But, you know, it's also I'm impressed that you're doing a rosé in November because I thought you might judge me for that. But when I was buying wine for tonight, because I knew we were going to hang out, it sounded good. OK, well, me, I just know me that I like uh, rosés when it's hot and I like rich red wines like cab when it's cold so. yeah typically I, I i agree but hey you do you and you do what sounds <laughs> so much judgment you. so much judgment in your voice <laughs> so judgment <laughs> just don't make back it to the book. back okay. to the incredible theft there's a house party but there is no kitten dancing play. doing the kitten play dance no we are right. um there is a bunch of people staying overnight because house parties to them is an overnight situation. It's usually at a country house. 
and I'm isn't don't you think it was like a a a Thursday through Monday situation? Yeah, because it was definitely several nights. But right. I think these are not people with like nine to fives, so it might even be like Tuesday through Saturday because I don't think days of the week are important to them. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but the the Lord. Okay, we should talk about the characters, but Lord Mayfield has a job. Oh yeah, the main character guy. Yeah, he he's got days of the week, so you're right. It might have been a Thursday to Tuesday kind of a long weekend, like when I come to visit you. Right. Right. But you don't bring your um, maids. Not typically. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Lord Mayfield was uh, single, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he's yeah, because, a politician. Yeah. And is this his house that we're at? His yeah. Country estate. Okay. Yeah. And um, and he's a politician. He, but and he's like a rising politician like he's a member of parliament who might be elected prime minister kind of thing yes and then he was an engineer and then he got rich from engineering anyway and then he invited sir george carrington who brought his wife and son who's like 20s Mm -hmm. and then he also invited Mrs. Vanderlyn, who's a sexy American, who's under suspicion of right of uh, being good at getting secrets from men, right? Being a, a a sexy East. I don't know if she just has one of those not around husbands or if she's a widow. Widow. And then another member of Parliament, Mrs. Makata, who I think Mrs. Makata was in. Um, uh, Secret of Chimneys. Is that the same name? Or was the, another bossy? It's it sounds familiar. Woman like, MP. Or was, yeah, that sounds really familiar. Like she's used that character before. But anyway, she's not really involved in the story very much. But they do the thing where they have dinner, and then everyone except for Sir George and Lord Mayfield are going to do something important, um, which. Which seems to happen in her house parties where they do a dinner party and then the, they totally segregate by the sexes. Now, you would think that Mrs. Makata, as a member of parliament, also would be involved in whatever they were talking about. But nope, it was just these two men. Right. Um, and um, so then. Well, and, and, and the story <laughs> opens sort of with sir george coming at lord mayfield like um you know you can't trust this american lady right um and he's like oh yeah yeah no we know that she's some sort of a spy or whatever and that's why she's here while you and i are talking about these important plans is because it's a trap yeah because at first sir george is like why are why is she here when we have these important plans and she's going to be able to steal them so is, you know, don't don't think with your pants. Right, right. Um, and yeah, Lord Mayfield kind of scoffs at that. And it actually, because I didn't get the sense that he was very young, right? That he was our age, at least. So. 
my point is if he's single and our age maybe he's not interested in her at all or, <laughs> maybe he's not interested in women <laughs> yeah yeah exactly or yeah or he's just a politician and he he gets his needs yeah. met and whatever way he gets them met right 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 but if he's if he's 40s uh, anyway yeah no that's right but yeah he doesn't seem susceptible he doesn't romance isn't on his mind and you're like you're right maybe never <laughs> right so and then there's uh he has a uh secretary named mr carlisle oh, i can't remember nice, if he nice. was a... i mean thinking about mr carlisle in new ways now that you're bringing up that <laughs> fair but um that's I fun can't... because remember when they're still in the plans he's like carlisle is above reproach i love him he doesn't say that <laughs> <laughs> he does say above reproach but he doesn't confess his love. That would be so fun and gay, but I don't think that happens. Um, but but anyway, what, so they they tell Carlisle to get out the plans for the new fighter, mm-hmm. fighter aircraft or something. Yeah, um, and it's this is thirty seven. So um, spoiler alert: uh, fighter aircrafts are going to be important soon. Right. Uh, and uh what are you, what are you spoiling history yeah world <laughs> are, war you spo- II? are you spoiling world history that there's world war ii yeah that there's world war ii um but uh, anyway so he they tell carlisle to get out the plans and put them on the desk and then they go out from the study and uh walk along the patio terrace whatever it is they go mm-hmm. for a walk and and then uh, then Lord Mayfield was like, "Who was that?" In this way, where he's like, "Somebody just left the house." And I then, saw someone through the window over there. And then and Sir, Sir George, George's like, "I didn't see anything." Yeah, Sir George is like, "What the hell are you talking about, dude?" Um. And so then they come back to the study, and Carlyle's in there and he's like hey okay cool i set everything up for you see ya and lord mayfield is like hey you forgot to put the plans for the fighter out like i asked he goes no they're on top he's like no they're not okay so okay my internet my internet cut off but you I was about to describe the actual moment of the theft. Okay, well, describe the moment. I'm sorry for the anticlimactic <laughs> moment. <laughs> Internet adventures. <laughs> so uh, they come back in and and Carlisle is like, hey, so there's the paper. See you later. Night. And he's like, Lord Mayfield says, wait a minute. Where's the actual plans for the fighter? And he's like, right on top. But they're not there. Dun, dun, not there. <laughs> that was the thing you froze right when I was saying dun dun dun. <laughs> so my dramatic moment was lost. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, and then so then they have to like figure out what happened, and Sir George says, "Oh," and then they're like, "Wait, were you in here the study the whole time?" And Carlyle right. was like. Yes, I was. Well, actually, I heard someone scream out in the hall, and he ran out and found Mrs. Vanderlyn's maid. And then on the back... stairway. Okay, yeah, on the stairway. And um, she screamed and said she saw a ghost. Right. 
so Sir George left for a, a, like a minute or two. Right. Um, and so in theory, the plans were left unattended for a minute or two. And then, um, and then, so that's when Sir George is like, let's call our friend Hercule Poirot. So he's like, I know this detective. He's very discreet. So he will help us figure it out. Right. And... Because Sir uh, Lord Merrifield is like, we can't let anybody know that the plans for the fighter have been stolen. That right. would be bad. So anyway. And, so... and then and when Sir George suggests it, Lord Mayfield's not really into the idea. Right. He's like, or not. Right. So then so Poirot Sir George insists. But um yeah, but Poirot was like he will totally be discreet. He was very um he was very reassuring that no one would find out. Um and then uh Sir George and Lord Mayfield talk to him and he comes like late. They like they call him in the middle of the night. He literally comes in at like two AM or something. Right, because they had finished the dinner, and so I'm guessing that all of this stuff and happened at like ten, eleven at night, and then they have to call him from London because this is, you know. See, I think he no, I don't think he was in London. I think I think Prabhu was like staying close by or something. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But the point is, anyway, yeah, he comes the, late at night. Right, he comes in the middle of the night, and he gets there, and Sir George and Norm Mayfield tell him the whole story, and Prabhu says to Sir George like you don't actually think there was anybody there. And he was like, these eyes took me to see or some shit like that. Do you remember what he actually said? But it was something about because he was at sea, he has better vision. And it's clearly that he highly respects Lord Mayfield and wouldn't accuse him of flying. But at the same time, he didn't see nobody. And something else that Prabhu was able to deduce, deduce is that Sir George does have better long vision and Lord Mayfield is short-sighted. So how did you see someone across the room that no one else saw? Right. And then he went outside and looked where Lord Mayfield thought he saw the whatever, you know, disappear and walk off into the grass. And there's no footsteps. So. Right. But he, but basically the men are assuming it's the American lady. Right. That even though Lord Mayfield had brought her under the pretense of foiling her plans to spy and steal instead somehow she managed to flip the script and she managed to spy and steal so they're assuming it's her like how do we catch her how do we get the plans back from her and praro says well no matter what they're still here no one's left so we will recover the plans or we will figure it out right so then he waits till the next morning to yeah to to interview people Mm -hmm. right and then he also was cagey because of Lord Mayfield said, don't say what was stolen. Mm-hmm. Right. So when he interviews people, he just asks them questions, but he doesn't say. Right. Right. So he interviews the maid who screamed and she's like, what is a ghost? And he's like, you didn't scream. Because when ghost. he talked to uh, Carlisle, he says, where were her hands? And he says on her, yeah, so Praro asked Carlisle, when you saw the lady scream and, you know, she was on the stairs and she screamed, where were her hands? And he said on her head. So when he goes to her, he's like, and I think she's the French maid, so he probably is talking in French to her. But he's Mm -hmm. like, hands were on your head. 
And that means that you weren't fix you weren't like touching your heart because you were scared of a ghost. You were touching your hair to fix your hair because you were making out with somebody. Right. And, and she's then, like, well, that's valid. Yeah. And then basically that means so the the young son, the son of Sir of, George. of Sir George had kissed her on, on the stairs. And the way that Praro carries off the interview with her, she's like, well, if I met you on the stairs in the dark, I wouldn't scream. <laughs> and Praro is like, um, I'm an asexual and or gay detective. That's <laughs> old, not going to happen. Old guy who's been old now for 20 years. <laughs> That's not going to happen, but, but thanks. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting because I'd never actually seen someone flirt with him before or, you know, Right. See right. the scene of anyone flirting with him before the first time that someone flirted with him, and I was like, and he was like, "Oh, young lady, uh, no, no." <laughs> but also, you know, in Agatha Christie stories, if you are a well-off person, you have a French maid. It's a thing. This oh, has yeah. happened many. Well, times. it's a status symbol. In some way, you can see like some people like they he'll talk about it that like getting an actual French maid was the st- symbol of status of the person went for our right. purpose. Right, right. Which, don't you know, I, I would, uh, you know, fake that French accent to get that higher pay. <laughs> right? How are, you, how are your accents, Portia? Oh, they're terrible. And I don't let's, speak let's French. Hear, let's hear your French accent. No, I can't, I can't, even, <laughs> you can't, I can't even, even say the main detective of your favorite author's Par- novels. Right. Oh, God. Say it. Say, no. say his name. Poirot. <laughs> See, you can't say it. I'm not saying I can't, but you've been reading these books your whole life. <laughs> I know, I know. Yes, I'm not saying I could do it. One, you could. literally said you could. You're like, I'm faking that, friend. That you used present tense first person to say what you would do. <laughs> okay, fair. It's not going to happen. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Also, we're both terrible liars. Like we just giggle and be like, "Hi, hey, just kidding. I'm not really French." <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> All right. So now we know that the maid didn't see a ghost, but she got kissed by the sun. The other thing that comes out in the interviews is that, and oh, kind of was alluded to before. What's that? Oh, you said kissed by the sun, like sun kissed, like oh, you no, know, I mean, no. The, the son of Sir George. S O N, not S U N. Not that she's bronzed. <laughs> um, but so we also, and we hear we had kind of gotten the rumors from maybe it was Sir George's inner monologue, or that basically Sir George's wife gambles. And has lost a lot of money, and his son also has money issues and other things. So basically, what happens in their interviews is Praro figures out that um, both his wife and his son had a motivation to do this because basically, by stealing the plans, you could sell them mm-hmm. and you could get money. And the mom, the the wife has gambling debts, and the son has whatever reasons he has to be broke. And they both suspect each other. Right. Which right. probably means that neither of them did it. Because the wife is the wife is clearly like asking Prawa questions that make her worried that that her son has done this. 
Well, and, and she knew that her son didn't go straight to bed. And so she's like, oh my God, he was stealing the plan. Well, but Poirot knows that he was, you know, trying to cop a feel with the French maid without consent. <laughs> and, right. you know, because he's, he's a cad or in, in older terms or what we would call a creep or I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, um, but anyway, uh, so that's why he wasn't in his room was because he was doing that, not because he was stealing the plan. Right. So the mom knew that he didn't go to bed when he said he did. So, um, and then she she asked Praro, she's like, "It's more important catching the person or returning the plans?" And he's like, "Returning the plans." And so she's like trying to figure out how to like just return it and like uh, get her. And then the Mrs. Vanderlyn, when being interviewed, is like enjoying the hell out of herself oh she's acting so smug like she's definitely giving the affect of like yeah i stole him and you can't catch me and yeah i went to go get a book but also lady julia that's sir george's wife was also there she had lost a book too or she was wandering around i don't know yeah she was definitely like whatever very happy with herself Uh so after the interview and Lady Julia says, I, I'll go get the plans and I'll give them back to you within 12 hours. Like, you know, and then everybody leaves the dinner party. Right. So that's, that's the, Sir George's wife is Lady Julia. And she's like, basically assuming it's her son and assuming that she can get this back and avoid, avoid a scandal. Yeah. So then everybody's left except for Proro and Lord Mayfield. And then he tells Lord, it's the way they set up. He was like, Lady Julia said she'll get it within 12 hours. And then it was like, end of chapter. But then the next chapter, uh, he's like, well, actually, everyone's got an alibi. Everyone has an alibi. Um, Mrs. Mikado was, you could, she was sleeping or something. When, after the scream kiss, Lady, Mrs. Vanderlyn called for her maid from upstairs mm-hmm. um you know the maid was screaming and the son was ki- trying to kiss her and lord mayfield and sir george was walking on the terrace so literally the only person who could have done it was carlisle and lord mayfield already said i love him don't even <laughs> consider him <laughs> Right. See, you can't insert my gay agenda into things, Portia. <laughs> I was now I'm going with it. <laughs> I was the one who got, said perhaps he's not interested. I'm trying to get something to put my feet up That's on. What I'm saying keep... you 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 planted the seed, and now I have a gay agenda <laughs> for Lord Mayfield to be gay. I didn't think of it when I read it, but now I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I thought he might be gay, but I didn't think that he might be sleeping with an underling because that's kind of you know bill clinton-esque and you know that's that is abuse of power okay so but he kept insisting that carlisle couldn't have done it and also it didn't make sense because carlisle is his secretary so he has access to these plans all the time so why would he steal it over this weekend when all these people are here it doesn't you know it doesn't because he could copy the plans anytime right so then the only other person who he could then perot I made you self-conscious about it, didn't I? Yes, you did. Just say Ross Perot. It's fine. 
Oh, our main detective. Um, Hercule, is that his name? Yeah. Um, <laughs> says, I know where they are. And he's like, where? Lord Mayfield says, where? And he goes, in your pocket, Lord, or something like it was. It was an incongruous sentence because he's like, in your pocket, sir, or Lord, or whatever his title is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh, we forgot to say that earlier when um, Poirot first got there, he, I can't remember if it was him interviewing Lord Mayfield or his inner monologue with Lord Mayfield, there was some past scandal mm-hmm. that had been hushed up and disappeared, but that... Um, about him being too friendly with certain powers or whatever. A foreign power. And so um, he said, I figured it out, dude. You stolen it. You gave so it. You stole your own plans. You stole your own plans that you, you know, designed. You gave it to Mrs. Vanderlyn. And you were pretty shady. And the reason you didn't want any details about the theft to get out is that you didn't want um, Mrs. Vanderlyn to know when they were stolen because you gave them to her earlier you know it was you know there was some kind of thing about like when they were actually stolen mm. um, and why you I, stole them is because you're being blackmailed by a foreign power because you did actually get too close to them back in the day um, or it wasn't necessarily too close but it was too close for the public Right view of the situation. It was one of those yeah. things like not popular, but right. probably was could have been um, justified as the right thing to do. Right, right. Well, sort of like um, uh, the secret adversary. Like that was one of the things because it was something that was at the beginning of World War One, and by the end of World War One, who your friends with were completely different. And right. so that was the whole point of that treaty is that it had to be destroyed because right. now our friends were completely different. Um, anyway, so he, Poirot is like, I know you stole them and you already gave them to Mrs. Vanderlyn. Or, yeah, they're in your pocket so you can give it to her or whatever. You or wanted, she already has it or whatever, yeah. Um, but he's like, you wanted her to know that they had been stolen. So you had to make a rush about it like a, a brouhaha, which is why he should have been okay with Pro coming in. Um, and then, but then Pro and then Lord Mayfield is like, what you must think of me? And Pro, this bothered me because there's a lot of leaps here. Well, Pro was like, well, you were an engineer. So I'm sure before you gave them over, you altered the plan so that they actually won't work. Yeah. And he said that they're going to be, you know, you're such a smart engineer that you're, you altered them such that, that when they try to build it, it's not going to work and they won't know why. Right. And, and then he's, and then he's basically like, and you'll be prime minister someday. And, 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 and then the uh, Lord Mayfield says, what you must think of me. He's like, he's like, no, if you couldn't, you know, toe this fine line and play both sides, you wouldn't be a good politician. Right, which is why you t- tried to say that there was a person leaving so that it could be blamed, be blamed on this disappearing person and not on anybody in the house. Um, and especially not on Carlisle because you didn't want, yeah. 
Um, because perhaps you love him. No, because... <laughs> no, you're right. Abuse of power, that's wrong. Yeah, because he's innocent. Right. Um, but... Uh, so anyway. it's just, it, it kind of ends with like a heart moment where um, Praro was like, you'll be a great, great prime minister and I understand what you did and everything's fine. And I don't know how they spun it to Sir George. Right, because, yeah. Anyway, uh, so like that's a lot of leaps i mean i understand where he interviews everybody and he's like well the only people who are left are carlisle and you and he's like no it's not carly it's not carl and he's like okay it's you but then for him to go oh yeah i totally assume that a you're not trying to you're not a traitor to your own country that you gave over the plans because you were being blackmailed and that you engineered them to not work that's a lot of leaps for perot to make with no input no you're right because he just he was just assuming really good intentions from lord mayfield that's if that's if i did that i was i was all like yeah oh happy heart ending <laughs> but you're right because <laughs> he didn't even make lord mayfield say that right he he did all the prayer was like it's all fine and so it's like really is it i don't know if it's all fine <laughs> that's a good point a really good point so i mean all right i it's an interesting premise i mean where you have to steal something yourself to pass off to the power so that everyone so there is some sort of public acknowledgement that there's been a theft so that the pe- person who's getting it knows that something is missing so you're making it kind of public but you're doing it on purpose because obviously, if Lord Mayfield were to actually, he could have just made a copy. Right, because if, yeah, if, if the lady knows she's getting him straight from the source, then again, why does there even have to be a theft? Kind of like the Carlisle thing, you have access to the oath all the time. Right, so he could have just given it to her, never made public the theft. No, dang it, you're right. <laughs> So why, so why did it have to be public? What was the point of us doing this over this weekend? We have questions. We have questions. I mean, I'd never actually thought about this before until I just said that out loud. Wait, no, if I'm you like, have access to this information all the time and you're flirting with this lady to, to whatever, why didn't you just pass it to her, not during one of these weekends, just give it to her like on a Tuesday? Right. Right. With the altered plans or not, depending on what your intentions actually are. Right. But why then, do it when, when Sir George is there to have his his panties in a bunch about it? Right. And get his wife dis- um, suspecting his son. Um, all the things. Yeah. Why yeah. even? Because, of course, if the point was, which I thought up until this moment, the point was for her to know they had been stolen so that she knew this the theft was legitimate but why would she care if the theft was legitimate when he could have just made a copy right because she's been flirting with him and so like she would just assume it was her feminine wells and he gave her the plants well and he also was being blackmailed so but yeah but yeah why didn't why is this public these are these are good questions. 
Yeah. Okay. We don't know. We don't know. I also, I kind of want to look this up um, on, on, the, on the Googles because it was the same story at another time because uh, she, you know, repeat, likes to repeat her stories. So the incredible theft is almost a verbatim reworking of the submarine plans, which was going to be in Poirot's early cases. What year is that? 74. Well, that's valid. Yeah. People might forget in 40 years. (laughs) Redo a story years later. They don't don't pay attention. Yeah. So anyway. Um, Yeah. So that's why I I was like, this is, yeah. And it's interesting because it's a fighter plane and then it turns into submarine planes. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, I don't quite get why it has to be public, um, but yeah, so okay, okay. So that was. Um, what do you think of that story? Um, I liked it until you pointed out the major flaws in it, and now I. <laughs> I... <laughs> Oh God, I ruined it for you. No, I know. I liked it. I just was just like, oh, okay. Because you're like trying to figure out, you know, who would have done it. And then, you know, the the solution of him having been his own thief, but he's not a traitor because he, he fixed it, was a nice solution. But you're so right that it's kind of like, have you ever been in involved in uh, interviews? Like job interviews. Yeah. So sometimes you can have like people who have a certain skill in interviewing will let you sit there and come up with your own answer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm often like, so I, I part of my job puts me in in these interviews, and so I'm kind of in the middle. At some point, there was a team of like two different like people who are managers, and then me because of reasons. But, um, <laughs> uh, but like, if one of them is there, she will ask to like tell us about a time when and let the person sit there, which is so socially uncomfortable. Right. But it's it? good because it actually forces the person to use their own words. If she's not there, the very friendly manager and me will just talk. And be like, oh, it seems like you're saying this. And then, especially right, any other manager who's super friendly will just be like, oh, that's such a great thing. And like, I'm like, sometimes after one of those interviews, I'll be like, I don't know anything about that person. I know how, you know, this manager feels. And I know that like, you know, they they seem nice. And then you fill in a whole bunch of space for them. <laughs> and it could have been that they had something better to say, but you just filled in. Like, you, we couldn't stand the silence. Right, right. So... Anyway, so you're right. It's kind of like that, where Prower was like, but you're obviously not a traitor. You changed the plans, and so everything's fine. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I, I could kind of see now that you pointed that out. I'm like, oh, yeah, he totally did that. And because I'm me, I'm like, yay, happy ending. <laughs> but right. it's kind of a really valid point that, like, do we, is it, is it true that he's not a traitor? Yeah. It's very right, valid. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. That's but very I think valid. Lot, yeah. So 
But if you're looking for a happy ending, it gives you one. But if you have a discerning, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. All right. The next one is Dead Man's Mirror. Right, and I like this one. You do? Okay. So, first of all, Paro gets this letter from this very self-important guy who's like, I might need you to come down to my estate because of important secret things. It's it, Keep it in the family. No one can know. Be on call. With like that kind of a tone. And Paro is like, excuse me? Do you know who I am? I'm so important. <laughs> like, We're and so, out importing each other. I got really excited because for a second he's like, oh, I know who will know this guy. And he goes to a party where he knows Satterwaith will be there. And he's like, Satterwaith, tell me about this dude. Because he knows that like Satterwaith, our old friend, knows all the, you know, bougie people. Rich people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and then Satterwaith just basically is like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, this family and blah, 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 blah. And that's it. No, I got so excited for a second because I was like, Satterwaith, Quinn is coming. It's a party. <laughs> and it was Right, because he just yeah, literally got like intel from him for like 30 seconds like he could have sent him a text message and been like oh yeah yeah like for, it's the, it was, 1937 but yeah but, but you know i meant to say that satterwaite didn't have any role in it except with the fact that he gave him like a and bit he of knows rich people guy. yeah and well, that's he it knows he knows people. i know who knows rich people and Right. So he'll tell me about this guy. So, but I was like, I got so excited for a second because it was Satterwaite, and you know how I feel about. The we Queen did stories. have a little, yeah, and we did have a little bit of Satterwaite insight into them because he Satterwaite was imagining that Sir Gervais, Gervais, how do you say his name? Okay, Gervais. I mean, I I listened to the audiobooks. I should have this at hand. I have no idea. Chevany Gore. I think he's. I think the audio reader says Chevany Gore. Gervais Chevany Gore is like the most pretentious name one could have. Exactly, but Satterwaite was kind of speculating that the egos of Paro and Sir Gervais Chevany Gore in the same room would be (laughs) right. Um, But also, um, he called them the last of the barons or something like that. Right. Yeah, because his 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 name, which was so important to him, Chevney Gore, was such an important name to him. But it was ending with him because he um he had only one daughter who was adopted, and then he had a nephew, um, uh, who he may or may not approve of. Right, and so anyway, so then he gets the summons. Come now. Right, mm-hmm. and um, so and so, he... so was like, I was so offended, and Satterwaite's like, you're not even gonna go then. He's like, well, I still might go. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he gets the summons and he goes, even though it's like he's offended by you know being and commanded, so, but he still goes. And he walks into the sitting room, and there's a whole bunch of rich people there as they do where they got dressed for dinner because that's what you do. And then a gong went off for dinner and the servant, the main head butler? Butler. Sure. Comes in after doing the gong and then they describe something that was very vivid that, that 
the servant who oh, Agatha Christie always talks about how really, really good servants have incredibly impassive faces when they're in front of their, the uh -huh. people they work for. Nothing ever bothers them. But all of a sudden that servant who announced, did the gong and then did dinner is served. All of a sudden that servant had incredible astonishment. He was just astounded. And then a second later, um, he went back to having this impassive face. Right. And then it's like, what? Well, it, because the Sir Gervais Chavity Gore had never missed a gong. And there was In fact, always... Right. It turns out he was like um, kind of fanatical about time. Like there was a first gong that was exactly seven minutes before the second gong. And anyone who did, wasn't in the dining room at the second gong for dinner was never invited back. It was right. a huge deal. And his so then, wife, who is like sort of ethereal, hippie, talks yeah. to the other side kind of person, was still always very timely with that. Right. So she's he, like, time has no meaning, except for Gervais. I always do that because it, you know, pisses yeah. him off. Yeah. Um, so then um, it's like, wait a minute, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So then they uh, go and into the, his study and Gervais has shot through the head and um, it looks like he shot himself and then the bullet hit the mirror in his study and fell down. Uh, right. Yeah. And so that's why it's called Dead Man's Mirror. Um, anyway, so then now... Um, now Perot has to investigate a murder that happened like and no one in the family knew he was coming right so everybody's like who are you when he you showed here? up everyone was like what what are you even doing here and then just after that they find him dead and everyone's assuming it's a suicide because it looks like a suicide the door was locked the windows were locked the key to the room was in his pocket the gun was in his hand so it looks like a suicide um but it's kind of fishy that Prauro was there. Right. So then he has So to, the like... characters in the house are the ones we mentioned. His wife, his who's kind of woo-woo. His, his daughter. daughter, who is adopted. And we find out through the investigations that she's a probably related to the family illegitimate. And, and she mentioned that herself. Like she was like, I think I'm related. Um, so she's not completely out of the fan. Yeah, she was, a, you know, but they keep mentioning she was adopted. And sometimes I'm annoyed by that. I'm actually a lot annoyed by that where I'm just like, how is this important? But in this case, it was like, it was important because he really wanted his family line to continue. And she probably, she was somehow and Ruth said well, that Well, it herself. reminds me of that one. And I, I, I kind of like you, I had the same reaction because again, I think in the culture that we exist in and the values that we exist in once a person is adopted they're adopted right we they're your daughter. talking about yeah. that but it reminded me of that one what was the book where there's an actress who adopted some kids and then got and kind of got rid of them what are the agatha christie books uh is it the mirror card from side to side no that was the one no Sparkling cyanide. 
maybe. Yeah. Have we read it but, yet? Yeah. Have we talked no, about we it haven't. yet? No, we haven't. Oh, that's that's my reading ahead. But it, it's anyways. It's it's this one where there's a woman who adopts kids, but then it's like meh because and then and and when they talk about it, they're like, well, they, she adopted kids, but she never had kids, and that's sort of like these adopted people don't count as your children, and that's right. just so unethical from the way that both right. our culture and I think our personal ethics look at it. That it's just like, what is wrong with you? Right. <laughs> Once you take a... responsibility for a human child it doesn't matter where they came from but i think probably it seems like culturally from that time there was an always an asterisk on an adopted child right right but also then like you said in this book it's there didn't seem to be any disrespect on her for being adopted it had more to her her being a woman right because he wanted his name to continue and the whole thing about it, it was important that she was adopted, well, maybe, was because of the whole consanguinity thing, because the dad wanted her to marry her cousin, and although she was an illegitimate child of somebody's relation, <laughs> she didn't know. It she was, was like, less gross. <laughs> right, right. Because it like, was definitely his own sister's kid. Right, right. No, his own, yeah, Hugo was his sister's kid. Right, so if that I'm saying, like, if she weren't adopted, it would be grosser. Right, right. That but, her dad wanted her to marry her cousin. Right, right. Um, uh, but so, I had the same reaction with you, where I was just like, "Why is it so?" Because they they would be like, "Well, he has an adopted daughter, but he has no heirs." Like, what? No, but he does. There's right. an adopted daughter. She's right there. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, um, yeah, so it's, is it the adopted part? Is it sexism? But it, it turned yeah. out, it seemed like more of it because it was so important to him to continue the family name. Right. And so then the other people in were the, the cousin was there, Hugo. Um, and then um, there was Mrs. Miss Lingard, who was helping him do research on the family history. Right. And then there was the butler who was like the one I said, who was like freaking out that he didn't show up for dinner. Um, and I think that's everything who mm -hmm. was at dinner. Um, and so they did hear a shot. Oh, wait, there was another woman there. Susan. Who was that? Oh, a random woman who's staying there. Right. Because, you know, it's a house party again. We're having another one of those. It's a rich or it's like, house. I know. I think in like, remember when Hastings was convalescing over some people's house and he just lived there for a while? It seemed like that's what Susan was doing. She was just I like living tell. there. Like she was living there. No, I don't think she was. I can't remember. They said she's staying here, but it didn't sound like just for tonight. Right. Anyways, but I think, matter. yeah. I feel like also she pulls right out. So, um, but uh, anyway, right? so no. Or Susan important. Susan's important. She's the one who thought that the gong had already. Um, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, so, Susan. I'm so sorry. So she thought that she had heard the second gong and was going to be late, and she's secretly engaged to Hugo. Um, oh. And she it. was trying she to doesn't pull right out. So. <laughs> pull right out sir how dare you take away I'm susan's okay i'm so sorry so gervais chevenigore 
was pressuring his daughter to marry his nephew, Gross, um, because to continue the family name. He's super rich, and he's like, it turns out, when we look at the wills, the current will, it all goes to the adopted daughter with some, you know, other stuff here and there. But he had drafted a new will that had cut her out of the will unless she marries her cousin. Meanwhile, go ahead. Oh, she was supposed to, in the first will, she got everything as, but she was supposed to keep her name. Right. No. And if, and if any, if she married, the man would have to take the Chevenny Gore name. Uh, But then in the second will, yeah, she had to marry Hugo, but Hugo was engaged to Susan. Yeah, so it turns out that Hugo is secretly engaged to Susan, who's staying there. And, and Ruth, his and daughter the, is secretly married to, to his agent, Mr. Right. Lake. Captain Lake? Maybe Captain Lake. But Captain Lake wasn't at dinner, and he shows up and is, like, super shocked because he's like, you know, he was crazy, but he wasn't kill yourself kind of crazy. Well, and that's what it seemed very consistent that everyone was like, why would he kill himself? He had the biggest ego. He thought the world needed him desperately. Yeah. So, like, why would that guy kill himself? No one thought that he was, like, suicidal. So, um, he was a control and... freak and he was an egoist. So, like, that person doesn't typically kill themselves. Right. So then, um, he got all these interviews with Captain Lake and with the wife and with Ruth and with Hugo and Susan. Um, and then also they had all said that they thought they had heard a shot, but mm-hmm. they thought, um, and like Susan and Hugo and Miss Lingard all came running out of their rooms saying, did you hear that? And then they're like, oh, it must have been a car backfiring or a champagne cork. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh my gosh, that must have been the actual shot. Um, but only Susan thought that she had heard the second gong before the second gong. Right. She was like, I thought I heard the gong and I was hurrying, hurrying because I want Mr. Sir Gervais to actually like me because I marry Hugo. Right. Or, you know, engaged to Hugo. Um, so then... Um, he brings everybody in. Oh, and he interviewed Miss Lingard and she's just like, oh, he's a batty old guy and he thinks he's so important and I spend my time trying to tell him how um, important she, he's- She's the one helping with the book? Yeah. But she's the only one who says he seemed really upset about something. The suicide makes sense. Right. And she's the one who told- He's like- about- He's upset and saying, shame upon the family, shame upon the family. <laughs> and it make, totally makes and sense he killed himself. She told the butler, she was like, oh, he told me to have, have dinner start at 8.15 instead of 8 because there was a guest arriving by the late train and to send the car for the guest. So she sent, she told the butler to do those two things so that Pearl was picked up. Right. So then, um, uh, yeah, so that's all of it before the reveal, right? I think so. Okay. 
So then he calls everybody in and he says, Sir Gervais Chevany Gore had said he would disinherit Ruth if she didn't marry Hugo and she's married to Captain Lake. So Ruth must have killed him. And then Miss Lingard says, no, no, no. And there was this whole thing with like him in the garden and going to the window and he shows Miss Lingard and he shows Ruth like how you could lock the door from the outside, lock the window, like how the window could be fake locked. Oh yeah, that part. And he does this whole like where he's doing this like uh, Columbo thing. Oh yeah, it was very Columbo and stupid. Well, maybe that's, you know, he was first, so maybe that's where Columbo gets it from, but where he was just like, well, I'm just saying, I just wonder how this happened, and let's see how I could do this here, but um, without that accent, either of them, I apologize for that accent, I don't know what just happened, <laughs> but he's in the garden, and he's figuring out, like, how someone could, like, make the window seem locked, because, you know, often, like, a locked isn't really, that happened to me once, do you know that story, Portia? That's why I actually moved in with Stitch, because... I lived in this apartment and the way the window, like it was one of those windows that could open from the top or the bottom. Like you could pull down the top half of the window down into the bottom, which is weird. Right. So the way I thought I locked the window, I didn't. And the person could like open the top part of the, like pull it down. Oh, and so I actually came into, I was like, I lived by myself in this cute little apartment off of H Street, H and 8th. And I came in and I was like, that's weird. I thought I left my laptop here. I lived alone. Oh. I left my laptop here. That's weird. And then like, I figured out that like my laptop was gone. And it was literally the only thing that was gone, but probably the only thing I had that was worth anything. Right. Um, and and then like I figured that out with the window because I I thought it was locked but because the whole thing with the prayer was that the the you know that it could look locked without being locked mm, yeah 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 and so it's literally someone like could tell that and like came in my window took my laptop and went out and it was so like kind of like uh, unsettling. Oh, totally. And I felt really creeped out because it was it was a ground level apartment, which is you know can be unsettling. Right. And then totally. once someone is, has come in and left, right, without you then realizing you're... it, then like not long after that. Yeah, yeah, it's time to go. Moved in with my ex, and it was all down here from from there. I digress. But yeah, <laughs> I blame the robber for that relationship. <laughs> it wasn't the robber; it was me. Um. But yeah, and so anyways, I'm saying to probably Pro- that was a burglar because he didn't you rob a person, you burgle a place. Is that true? Yep. Huh. Okay. Well, I I blame the burglar. <laughs> I don't think I've ever used the verb burgle. <laughs> I would never say my my place was burgled. <laughs> It's the only kind of English. verb that one really just like uses. It, it is correct English, I promise. All <laughs> right, well, yeah. the burglar. Um, you used that word before. Yes, I mean, one who burgles. Hamburglar. <laughs> it, it was a laptop burglar, not a. <laughs> um, the point is. Praro had figured out how the window could be locked because it was like, there's no way anyone else did it because the window was locked and the door was locked. 
And he was like, yeah, but this window could be locked, but you could still get in and out of it. Yeah, it's not and, that secure of a lock situation. Right, so I forgot about that. So we he did all that before because like the window was latched together. But yeah, so the, so he and he'd had that conversation in different levels of sort of like coquettishness or something or coyness with right. What are their names? Ruth and Miss Lingard. Miss Lingard. And so you're like, okay. And so there's the whole thing about like who was in the garden when and the footsteps from the window and leading away and locked window and the whole thing. So then, yeah, he does all that before he calls everybody together, accuses Ruth, and then Miss Lingard says, it was me. Right. But then um, we find out like how it happened. So Miss Lingard was in there and shot him and he was facing a certain kind of way so the bullet went all the way through his head flew out and hit the gong which is why susan whose room was right above it heard the gong and then she and i guess the house is big enough that like because everyone was dressing this is the question i had because everyone was in their rooms dressing no one else heard the shot like the room is the house is that big that there's like a shot and a gong from yeah, somewhere or, in the house or oh. you know she had a silencer on it or something yeah i don't remember that part. no but there wasn't because the whole thing was like it looked like a suicide but i guess i i th- yeah i think the premise she could have just was, taken the silencer off the gun but they didn't bring that up that's the true, premise was that the house was so big that the other people's rooms were so far away that they wouldn't right, hurt. But, but I'm like, I feel like, you know, even in this building where I am right now, I live high density. If someone was shot on another floor, I feel like I might hear it. I don't know. Right. Yeah, seriously. It's pretty quiet. Shots are loud. Anyway, but um, so, so she shut the door, turned him so that his the side of his head was next to the mirror smashed the mirror um and then left and then she told the butler to make the or maybe she told the butler earlier today in the day because she i can't remember he had originally written to paro himself but did the whole about something but we didn't know why but she's the one Um, actually sent for paro right so she sent the second summons and said come now and then she shot him, and then you're right. She tried to make it look like a suicide, and I don't know why she smashed the mirror. Because the since the bullet went through all the way through his head and hit the gong in real life, it would have had to hit something. Got it. So she smashed the mirror, and then she went out the window, making the doors look like the window look like they were locked, goes up to her room, and then pops a paper bag. Right, that was the whole thing where she like it's uh, to make a fake time of death. She blows up a paper bag with air and pops it so that everyone will hear a shot or a champagne cork, whatever it is. So that moment was actually faked by her. But also, and then she would have an alibi because she would have been coming out of her room right after the paper bag sound. Which, I'm sorry, does a paper bag being popped sound like a gun? Right, they didn't hear the actual gun. But I mean, I know they papers. were all down separately. Yeah, that, that's that's my question. But the whole thing turned out to be, and the reason she confessed when 
he accused Ruth was because she was Ruth's mom. So Ruth was illegitimate and she was the mom. And, and the other, uh, and Gervais, um, Sir Gervais's brother was the dad. Right. Died in the war or something. Right. Which is again, why gross. Ruth should not be married Hugo because they were actually cousins. They were first cousins. But her point was, the reason why she did it was because of um, Sir Gervais trying to force her to marry her cousin Gross, and she knew that she, that her daughter liked so-and-so and wanted to marry him, or was secretly married to him. But she never told the daughter. So Praro handled this and like had everybody else leave the room. So no one else found out her motivation Right, and, and then even at the like, end, Ruth was like, well, "That lady seemed kind of nice. I don't know why she killed my dad, huh?" You know, like so she and she made Praro promise to never tell her the answer. Right. And then at the and then at the end, um, Praro's like, "Don't worry, she won't have to face trial for this because I heard that she's you know got cancer and is about to die anyway." Right. Because... So it wasn't the it wasn't the murderer kills themselves, but it was the murderer has cancer. Right, and. Happy this has ending. happened, I, I can't remember when other it has happened, but there's a couple of times when people are like, I could tell she was dying by just looking at her, mm-hmm. where I'm a little bit like, huh, interesting. Can you? But, yeah, can you? But so, uh, so I like this one. It was interesting. There was a lot of different parts to it. Yeah, the whole paper bag making the sound of a shot, but the actual shot people couldn't hear and Pro I mean, Road definitely Pro Road because he was like, the paper bag was a feminine thing to think of, so I knew it was a woman. Yeah, and, and like, oh, oh, and then there was the, the fact paper. that like, yeah, making breaking a paper bag to be a shot noise. Is that definitely when a woman they thing? approached the study? They had to walk by the gong, um, and Miss Lingard picked something up, and then later when he was interviewing her. He said, I saw you pick something up by the gong. And so she pours everything out of her purse and puts out this tiny pencil. And she's like, yeah, I I can't remember. But what she actually had picked up was the bullet because she did not walk down the hall after the bullet went out and hit the gong. She shut the door quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And because she didn't want anybody to know that she shot the dude. And so she didn't go down the hall to pick up the bullet. So she had to do it later. And then once they got into the room where they found the body, she dropped the bullet below the mirror. Right. And so when he was like, what did you pick up? Because he knew that she'd picked up And she up was like, small. it was, um, what's his face's golf pencil. Right. So she knew it was something small. So she had found something small and put it in her purse so that she was prepared. So it was a really yeah, it was smart. Really, yeah. She was really smart. And, um, yeah, so there was a lot of layers to it of like smartness. Yeah, no, you're having. right, you're right. This one was pretty good. Um, yeah, and it's a little bit of a happy ending because apparently a lot of people didn't really like this guy. He was kind of a blowhard. Although I think Ruth did was fond of her dad, you know. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they seem to get along. But, you know. The fact that he was, you know, insisting that she marry somebody that she didn't want to. Uh, so it was a kind of a... Happened to be her cousin. Which he knew. 
sushi. But did he know that? Did he? I think so. Because why wouldn't he? Right. Otherwise, where where he would he would know where the yeah. So then he knew he was asking his daughter, or his you know niece niece he'd adopted, but like raised as his daughter to marry her own first cousin. We've been through this. We we know enough about genetics by this point that it's not a great idea. Come on, Agatha. Come on, British aristocracy. I mean, for I mean, in Agatha's defense, that's not the happy ending of the book. Right. The happy ending of the book is for her to marry who she actually wants to marry, her dad's agent, and Hugo gets to marry Susan, and yeah, so everybody gets to marry who they want to marry, and Lynn, Miss Lingard dies, and, of and, none, she has. and no one are no one are blood relatives. Yeah, so. no one are blood relatives. So there. So yeah. So um, yeah. So I mean, I like this one better than the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got a inter- some interesting characters in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all right. And we didn't even talk about oh, because wasn't there also a cop? Who came to? So it wasn't just right. Her. So yeah. So when Praro was like, "Oh, you should call the police after there's a dead guy," then of course he's like, "I know the, you know, the police detective in this area who comes and is like, of course you're here, right?" And then um, when um, they're interviewing the wife of the guy who was killed. She's like, oh, I can see Gervais standing next to you. He's smiling because none of this matters. And the cop is like, uh, I don't, what do I do with this? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the wife goes super hippie. He's still, he's still on this plane. And, yeah. He will be here for until his soul is released after so long. Anyway, but it was this thing where the, they were like, um, Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good one. Like you said, I mean, there was likable characters. So, like as we as we talked about, like when there's when there's not likable characters, it's hard. But like you know, you like the even the murderer. You liked her reason for it. Right. Right. Okay. So before we get into the fourth story of this series. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you something. I have to, I have to confess something. Uh oh. One of the things I find most annoying in other people's speech patterns is when they repeat themselves, especially immediately. And as I edit our episodes, I notice that I do that. Like when I think I said something really important, I always repeat it, which is a trait I hate in other people. Uh oh. Like a shadow work moment I need to like address because I'll. I'll hear myself and I'm just like, I say something and then I say it at least one or two more times so that you make sure that you hear it. But I already said it once. You don't have to say it again. <laughs> See, I know that I do that, but I figured it was no, because you of do that job. zero times. You do what? that zero times when I'm editing it. You never do it. <laughs> really? Or not in a way that annoys me. And, you know, we're sisters. I can get annoyed at you. You oh, do yes. it zero times. Wow. I I'm do astounded. it often. Where I'll say something and then I'll repeat it because it seems so important to me. See, because I thought that I did it because as a teacher, I do feel like I repeat myself because I, in my job, I'm telling people the things that they're like, yeah, I don't care. 
<laughs> right. You often have to repeat it. But um, so now when I'm speaking to you for the podcast, I'm like trying to be self-aware of that. Am I just like, oh, but I said this, but oh, it's so important. But oh, let me say it again. So she really hears it. Anyways, that's the point. Interesting. The point is story four. Story four. So triangle at Rhodes. Right. So first of all, I was like, where's Rhodes? Right. So is an island in the Mediterranean and according to when I just looked it up, it's owned by Greece, but it's really right by Turkey. Like it's right off the coast of Turkey. But the point is it's a lot further south than Great Britain. And is this the same road in Rhodesia? Like what was road who was Rose is this the same is that the same roads? Um I don't know. That part I don't know. It's all right, Ooh, Rhodesia is really Zim- Zimbabwe. Island of Rhodes, a thousand BCE. Yeah, it's been Rhodes for a long time. So it's oh. not the same. Yeah, it is not the same person, the same Rhodes that um, okay. colonized well, Southern Africa. Okay, good. Now, it has, yeah, we're talking, yeah, it's been that name for a long time. Or some version of it, yeah. Anyway, the point is, it's a place. Uh, and the name Rodas is Eritrean and means "thank you, God," and it's also not related. There's no H. Okay. No one asked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Internet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it reminds me of those, those memes that people have no one and so would offer something. Portia well, Amanda, <laughs> Rhodesia, the island Rhodes, and the name Rhodes are not related. Are not related. <laughs> the world blank dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. I'm crying. Okay. <laughs> the point is, they're on an island. It's, it's one of those story. things where British people go to place a place with nicer weather for vacation, as we all do. And no one, everyone here is English or speaks English. Right. And the, I think all the characters are English or American. Yeah. And so there's also this, okay. You're off the coast of Turkey, but somehow no one, yeah, so that no one is Greek, no one is Turkish, no one is Italian, you know, like, really? Right. They mentioned so, Italy. Like, I wonder if at the time it was Italian territory, because they mentioned Italy and as if Italy. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so... Poirot goes there because he's like, maybe I'll, I won't have any crime. I need a break. Um, but I do love that Agatha Christie's usual MO is either one of those um, parties in the country for rich people or vacation for rich people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to think about being able to see you and you yawn. You make me yawn in that, you know. Way Did I just pass know. you a yawn virtually? <laughs> You passed me a, a yawn virtually. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's late over here. 
it's one that that works even over like virtual i know it's still in yeah and this is how you can tell that cats are sociopath because dogs will yawn when you yawn but cats will Hmm. so again (laughs) no one (laughs) no one (laughs) (laughs) Portia (laughs) cats are sociopaths because they don't yawn from watching me yawn I mean we all know your cat is a sociopath I'm not sure all cats are sociopaths fair the point is Pearl's on vacation. vacation. Right. Bobby got a sandwich and Lady What's-Her-Face did some cocaine. Oh, <laughs> now that we're on season two, I should probably... <laughs> okay, <laughs> if we have any new listeners, which according to our uh, podcast uh, application, we do have many, many new listeners, which we appreciate. So we wanted to give you a little bit of context to that joke that we make. So one of our early episodes, which is a couple of our earlier episodes, there was a point at which Portia and I had tangented <laughs> off into something. And Bobby had eaten a sandwich. <laughs> and, and, and like, we were on something entirely left. And then we were, <laughs> we were like, oh, wait, the whole point is that Bobby got a sandwich. Right. So that's been our And then our, we did it again. Because... Shortcut to let's get back on track to the story at hand. Right. And, and then, then in another story, there was a character who a rich lady who was a rich woman who was addicted to cocaine and she would like do cocaine sometimes and so in that yeah, one so our Bobby got a sandwich was Lady uh, Aubrey or someone did some does some, did some more cocaine so that's that, the joke that we're talking about right so we're back on track so we're back uh, on track Bobby got a sandwich so Pro is on vacation Right, and he's sitting with two young women at on the beach, which is weird because why is he lying on the beach with two young women? This is why he must give off serious gay guy vibes because if you're a young woman at the beach, would you feel comfortable with an old man lying on the beach near you? No. No, but they Unless... also describe it like they, they open the story with... Poirot is of the old school, where you protect yourself from as much of the sun as possible. Whereas the person he's lying next to is of the new school, where you're, you know, they're rubbing tanning lotion in and trying to get tan. So he's clearly like out there in a three-piece suit or whatever. Right. He's like got a protecting little protecting himself. Little right. do does Agatha Christie know that we've come back around, and that we're like, no, 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 no sunscreen and umbrellas all the time because skin cancer so but in 37 they did not know this but uh so Poirot was right turns out but anyway so he's lying on the beach under all these clothes and umbrellas next to two young women who are trying to get tan who are young and gossipy Mm -hmm. and a movie star shows up whose first name is valentine so who believes that her first name was actually valentine but whatever but she's a uh, movie star who's been married a bunch of times mm-hmm. a bunch of times yeah I, yeah no judgment um, that happens as you and i talked about that happens sometimes to people <laughs> right right but her latest husband is like a uh bulky 
scowly. Yeah, like man. a like a, a big tough dude, like maybe a former military or whatever. Right. And her yeah, so her 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 name is currently Chandri. Right. Chantry. 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 And so the two girls are just gossiping about how she showed up and then this other couple showed up which have a very attractive uh man and then a the golds the golds and then his wife is more um sensible uh, no they called her something what did they call her as they called her frumpy like she was a little bit frumpy and, and so Praro's watching all this and like he's watching it with the with the two women that are kind of you know gossipy or whatever and so he draws a triangle in the sand because the attractive husband of the gold couple is clearly taken with the movie star. Movie star. And she's a literal heiress movie star attractive person. Um and so this whole thing is happening where Douglas Gold keeps hanging out with Valentine Chantry and her husband is acting jealous and, and, and upset. Hulk. Right. And brooding and hulkiness. And and Marjorie Gold, the wife of the husband, is uh, acting kind of uh, naive. Sorry. I, have, I know yeah. words. <laughs> acting kind of naive. Um, but also then getting upset the more and more attention her husband is giving. Right. Valentine. So then, yeah, there's a back and forth where um, she's like, oh, I was going to hang out with my husband, but he went with Valentine. Oh, and so everybody's like, oh, that's too bad. Valentine's trying to get her next husband. And um, then she cries once to Poirot, and Poirot says, you need to leave with your husband now. And she's like, oh, but no, it'll be okay. And he's like, you need to leave if you value your life. He's definitely setting up that she's in danger. Mm-hmm. And then um, the two men have a argument um, and yell at each other, and I don't exactly why. Mm-hmm. But then they all make up. They they all make up, and then like everybody's getting along for a second, right? And then um, mm-hmm. uh, so then everybody's getting along and making cocktails and. Uh, Valentine's husband gives her a cocktail and she drinks it and then she dies. So, so, so yeah, so um, they're getting along now um, and Douglas Gold gets a drink for Chom, Tom, Tony Chantry. We're friends now. Everything's fine. So he gets him a drink. I'm going to the bar. What do you want? Right? So he gets him a drink. Then mm-hmm. When Valentine walks up, she's like, oh, I need a drink so badly. So then her husband, Mr. Chantry, passes his drink to her like, oh, I haven't had any of mine yet. You go ahead and have it. She drinks it and dies. Right. Like fast. And so everyone's like, and they, everyone knew that Douglas Gold got the drink for Tony Chantry. So they're like, Douglas Gold is the killer. It was meant for Tony Chanty because he wanted to marry his wife. Right. And so then um, we, uh, and then they find the poison in his dinner jacket. Um, And so that's the whole thing. The the entire story, which was not a lot of details, not a lot. And then 
Poirot does the big reveal, which pisses me off. Oh, does it? Be- yeah, because so he said that he saw Chantry put the um, uh, poison into Gold's pocket. So he saw that. And then right, and so said, and basically, so the reveal is that Praro. So every everyone they they arrest Douglas Gold and say, "You are trying to kill Tony Chantry because you like her, you you know fell in love with his wife and you wanted to kill him so you could marry his wife, so that you could marry his beautiful movie star heiress wife." But then Praro is like, "Actually, no." Turns out Marjorie, Miss Plain Jane, and Tony Chantry actually having an affair and he was bored with his rich he was bored with his rich wife because like she was dumb as rocks and that was obvious but she was supposed to be beautiful 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 and irresistible but she was clearly dumb and annoying right so tony chantry had actually fallen in love with little miss boring marjorie and they'd set this whole thing up to come here on vacation together have this fake dynamic or maybe real dynamic between her husband and Valentine and then set up Douglas to take the fall for killing Valentine by accident. And, and Praro so saw the, all of this coming. Right. So the triangle from the beginning, he knew it was a different triangle than everybody else saw. And when he and was so even when he tried when he even warned her to leave, it was be like leave and don't be a killer, not leave and don't die. Right, which, you know, most Agatha Christie story, you get the reveal and you go, oh, now I see it. This one, I read it, I read it again, and I'm like, ain't no clues for this. You are pulling the shit out of your butt, <laughs> completely made up. <laughs> it's totally made up. There is no evidence to the entire thing. Yeah, there's no evidence. No evidence. There's no secret things. There's no evidence at all that um, um, Marjorie, that Marjorie and Tony, because every single clue, and other times when she does this, where she spends all of your time thinking one person's going to die and there's one thing going on, and then it turns out to be another. When you go back and read it, you're like, oh, I see it. Right. No, there's no, she didn't leave any breadcrumbs for us. Right. And so, so how Praro got there, it's hard to know. And it's a little bit of a leap. Right. And so I, I'm annoyed because I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. Like there's no, it's just like, it's not satisfying because there isn't, you can't go back and be like, oh, I see the triangle. Mm hmm. Yeah, like when I reread it to record with you today, like I I remembered what happened, and even knowing what happened, you are like, no, I don't, I don't see it. There's no, there's no breadcrumbs. There's no breadcrumbs, and so like that's what annoys me about it. The other thing is that like four years later, she makes an entire um, novel just about this one and the same one in the submarine plants. So. I'm wondering if this whole book ends up being like a practice book for her. You know right. what I mean? Right, right, Because right, Murder right. and the Muse, she doesn't do again, but she titles it that, and I think that might have been the longest one. But The Incredible Theft, she does again. And then this one, she does again, much longer. And um, 
and I remember the movie for the the longer version of this one. Um, I've seen that one now too. Yeah. So um, anyway, so of Evil but, Under the Sun is what that is the yeah, story it, that's very similar to this but different. Yeah. So anyway, so but this one like she just I I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Like there's no clues. There's no clues. And it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to, it is hard to buy. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so, so for any new listeners for season two, we do a thing called the Portia scale. So because Portia is the lifelong listener, no, you're a listener and I'm a listener because I listen to the audiobooks. Portia reads with her eyeballs. Portia <laughs> is a lifelong reader. And so she um, knows a lot about these. So I have asked her to rate the books each of them on a scale of one to ten and um it's the portia scale because she has a well calibrated knowledge of this work of this body of work so this collection of short stories where do you rate it on the portia scale well i have reread it so obviously um that's you don't hate it i don't hate it because there's the ones that i don't reread because they're depressing or sad and so, you know, but it's, it's not soothing. It's not my favorite. Um, so it's going to be fairly low for, I'm going to say six and a half. Okay. And an I don't half. know if I'm recalibrating recal- for the second season because we tried to make a list of all the Porsche scale and I kind of feel like I'm all over the place because I come up with the It's your so scale. Far. Be right, all over I'd, the place. I'd like to be consistent, but yeah. Um, so, Ooh, excuse me. Bless I'm you. Sneezed. It's not COVID. I get tested regularly. And you've been boosted. And I've um, been boosted. Yep. Um, the kiddos would say, at you, at you. <laughs> it was so cute. Chris was setting up his computer because I forgot mine. And, um, as we were heading upstairs to go do na- to do stories and go to bed, and Annika said, "Computer," and I and and Chris said, "Yeah, Daddy's setting up his computer." And Annika said, "Aunt Amanda on computer." Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She, she knew she you did. were going to talk to me. Oh, or, or she just knows that that's who we talk to on the computer. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, so this isn't my favorite. I know that we don't have an Amanda scale, but now you're going, you're as much as an expert on these as I am because you've been reading ahead. What do you think of this overall book? I mean, I think you're right. I think it's, you know, this one's not believable. The Dead Man's Mirror is pretty good. That's probably the best one out of them. The Incredible Theft you gave me some major questions <laughs> and oh. murder the muse i think murder the muse. so I, I think i like two out of the four of the stories um and i'm gonna i'm gonna okay if i were to to scale it i think i would give it like a 5.5 to your 6.5 okay all right because in rereading it i was like meh I wouldn't rewrite this, but I wouldn't necessarily like, you know, I think it's 
Although Pro gets annoying when he prorogues real hard, prorogues real hard. And this one, there's sort of like less of him doing his thing. Right. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. So yeah, there we are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so we are back on it. We enjoy this. We are excited to record again and not talk about. We started season two. This is fun, and we're back on this. Did you already look up what the next book is? The next book is Appointment with Death. Oh and- boy. You already oh, said you yeah. don't like that one. Well, mostly because, like, the person who is killed is an evil, evil person. And maybe reminds us, maybe reminds me a little bit of our grandmother. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. 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 That's going to have the level. Okay, it's going to add level. So, appointment with death. All right. And so, uh, so that'll be our next one. And we are not going to wait four months to record um, or whatever it is uh, September, October, right. November. Three months. It's only been three months. Right. Um, so, uh, anyway, so that'll be our next one. Um, also published in 1937. So, um, and. Yeah, it's a full-on Praro novel. So, all right, it'll be good. Stop yawning. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening. We will get. We will see you guys next time on Praro Pod. Praro Pod. Praro Pod.